Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 245 as we begin preparations in earnest this evening for the ascension up to the snowy pass over Karathras. Um, what uh, is, of course, in the end, uh, we're gonna, so we're going to talk tonight about the decision that's made. Uh, we were looking at the decision process last time a little bit. Um, and uh, we will see where they went and how Gandalf handles it as we um, uh, as we move as we move forward here. Um, and actually, I have very few announcements today. I did want to thank everybody for your support during our fundraising campaign. Um, our annual fund is doing great. We are uh, right at about the same levels we were at last year, which is awesome because last year was an all-time record uh, fundraising year for us. So that's a really good thing. Um, thanks everybody who does uh, support us. That is just uh, it is it means so much and helps us to accomplish so much uh, here at Signum. Um, and uh, yeah, entering into this next like five six weeks is generally, usually, one of the quietest parts of the Signum year, actually, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, so, uh, not gonna lie, kind of looking forward to that this year, I have to, uh, uh, I have to admit. Um, but it's true, Matt. It is never too late to donate to Signum U. Absolutely. So, our official fundraiser is over, Frumius Bujum, but what that means is the time when I'm going to be continuously going out of my way to ask people to donate is done, and now I'll just occasionally mention it. Um, but yeah, it is always a good time. And needless to say, as we get into December and start getting towards the end of the year, want to encourage people to remember Signum University uh, as uh, Signum uh, donations are tax deductible. So as you're beginning to think in tax deduction directions, I encourage you to remember Signum during that season. But um, yeah, exactly. It's no fundraising ordinary time. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, all right. Um, so let's, um, let's jump straight into the text tonight. Who knows? Maybe we'll do two slides. I don't even know. It's possible. Um, but uh, let's jump in. So, okay. In the late afternoon, while the others were finishing their breakfast, Gandalf and Aragorn went aside together and stood looking at Carathras. Its sides were now dark and sullen, and its head was in a gray cloud. Frodo watched them, wondering which way the debate would go. When they returned to the company, Gandalf spoke, and then he knew that it had been decided to face the weather and the high pass. He was relieved. He could not guess what was the other dark and secret way, but the very mention of it had seemed to fill Aragorn with dismay, and Frodo was glad that it had been abandoned. "'From signs that we have seen lately,' said Gandalf, "'I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched, and also I have doubts of the weather that is coming up behind. Snow may come. We must go with all the speed that we can. Even so, it will take us more than two marches before we reach the top of the pass. Dark will come early this evening.' 
We must leave as soon as you can get ready. Okay, okay. So let me begin by returning to the question I was asking last time and which we never fully answered, which is what is the basis on which they are making this decision? Notice how Gandalf lays it out. From the signs that we have seen lately, I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched. And I have doubts of the weather that is coming up behind. Snow may come. Yes, yes, it might. Um, so he mentions these two things, not, I think, because he's, uh, you know, he was against this from the beginning and he's distancing himself from it. Like, let me explain to you why what we're doing is such a bad idea, right? He doesn't have that tone at all. Um, I will give Gandalf credit uh, for good leadership in this way. If you make a decision, like if as leader you make a decision uh, to, you know, not go with your own impulse, but to go with somebody else's, uh, to own it. Like he owns the decision here, right? He doesn't just say like, I think this is a bad idea, but Aragorn says we should do this. So, okay, I guess we will. Right. Um, but, um, so he's, you know, from his words, he is all in on this, but notice his emphasis. He points out the two reasons he does like fairly warn of the two things two of the things that had clearly been leading him against going this way in the first place. Like, he leads with the cons, right? Um, here are the cons about going this direction. The cons are um, we, we may be exposing ourselves to view, right? There's spies all over the place, and we're going to be exposed to their view on the past. Oh, and also there's a really pretty good chance that we're going to get snowed in and all die of hypothermia. But apart from that, this is the, you know, all, all systems go uh, for the Red Horn Gate, right? Um, so why does he talk about this? What is the spirit in which he talks about this? And then what conclusions can we draw from the fact that he sort of, that he states the decision in this way? Um, let's, let me actually start with that. Let me start with not a look at what he says, but a look at what he doesn't say. That is, what are the pros? <laughs> Why? Um, there, he does not open the debate among the company, right? He doesn't bring them all the options and say, here's what we're thinking. What do you guys think? Right? Um, he's straight through. We must go with all the speed that we can, even so it will take us more than two marches. Um, the decision is made and it's stated very clearly. Um, but yeah, Bjorning, I don't see Gandalf list any pros here either. What are the pros that he's not saying? Like what, what conclusions can we draw from like what he doesn't say? So, okay. <laughs> Let me explain a little more clearly what I mean by that. Um, They have significant reasons to be concerned that there are spies around and that the spies which are around are likely to spot them when they're crossing over this pass. This is one of the things that Gandalf has been arguing. And he brings from signs we have seen lately, signs which include, for instance, tens of thousands of crows flying overhead, right? That was one subtle sign pointing in the direction that there might be... Um, you know, things might be watched. Now, he says, from signs we've seen lately, I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched. Certainly, 
anybody who is uh, going to the effort of scanning every you know square mile in the entire region between the mountains and the river, it probably will have occurred to them that they should also keep an eye on the pass, right? There's there are very few choke points over the mountain. If the company is in this area, they're almost certainly heading for this pass. There's nowhere else to go, right? So again, if you're going to all the trouble of searching this region, surely you have you will have also gone to the trouble, right? Of um, uh, of of watching the pass. So I I believe um, that that's um, I believe that that's a good uh, uh, a, a good a, you know a fair sign, right? A fair, a, a re- good reason to fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched. And then there's the weather issue. I have doubts of the weather that is coming up behind snow may come. And, he, and here he's being more gentle than he was when he was talking to Aragorn. He's being less alarmist than his previous words had been. Um, he was stating that fear much more strongly, I think. Um, because notice he wasn't just saying there's some weather coming up behind and I'm worried that's going to be another snow dumping. Um, it's not just that. Um, it is, he was pointing to the snow already far down the shoulders of the mountains, right? He's saying like this, um, it looks like it's already been snowing. In other words, the pass may already be impassable. Forget the weather that's coming up behind, right? It might already be impassable up there because of snow that has already fallen. And P.S., more appears to be on the way, which might hit mm, about the same time we're walking up the hill, right? So, um, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't dodge that fact. He doesn't hide it, but I don't think he says it quite as strongly here uh, as he did uh, in Private to Aragorn. But nevertheless, these are the two big, um, these are the two big negatives that he had been voicing before. We're going to be exposed and also we might get snowed in and die um, of hypothermia. So, um, and yet, here's Gandalf supporting this. Why? What does that, what does that show? Well, to say the least, it suggests that it's still the best alternative. Um, if we think about um, yeah, support for Aragorn, I agree, but that doesn't explain why Aragorn chooses it. So again, when I return to the question of what is the basis of their decision, um, how are they calculating what is the best, uh, which is the most likely route to say? I think that one could make a strong argument in favor of Moria, saying, okay, admittedly, there's a lot that's unknown there, right? Um, But we know some definite things, like these two things that Gandalf is pointing to right here, which both would seem to indicate that trying to cross over Carothras is an actively bad idea. the odds of success seem low, really low, in crossing over Carothros. 
So why are they choosing it instead of Moria? So the only other two options we've heard about are Moria or the Gap of Rohan. No on the Gap of Rohan because of Saruman there, right? Um, and no on Moria because we don't know why. We've not been told why exactly. Um, yeah. Now, Praise, you're right that um, the two major factors that we've seen emphasized before is secrecy and safety. Um, yes. Both of which, Gandalf explains, are <laughs> unlikely to pan out. Right? Are not really in the cards uh, when it comes to crossing Karathras. Uh, Karathras is over two on that point. So, explain again how it's a, how it's a better option, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Agreed they didn't name it the Black Pit just for giggles, Emily. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, no, now look, don't, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying, I'm not suggesting Gandalf is presenting this argument of like why this instead of the other two options to the whole company. He's clearly not. It's, it seems certainly to be only Frodo who even knows anything. Frodo doesn't even himself know for sure what that dark and secret way was. Um, but, um, but he, um, but surely the rest of them don't have any idea, right, of, of, uh, of the choice that's been made. So I'm not trying to argue, I'm not trying to suggest anything about that at all. But we as readers have been given a glimpse into the decision process that's going on behind the scenes, quite an insistent one. Uh, and therefore, I want to unpack the information that we as readers are given, even acknowledging and remembering, um, which is important, that the majority of the company does not have this information. Um, so, yeah, Bjorning, all we know for sure is that Aragorn resorted to begging <laughs> to tell Gandalf. And again, I don't want to over-literalize that expression, but I still don't think it was a mere figure of speech. Um, that it was a mere, you know, uh, uh, you know, purely rhetorical exaggeration. Aragorn was on the border of desperation that that should not even be mentioned as a possibility to the company. Notice also Frodo's response. Frodo is relieved when he finds from Gandalf's words that they chose Aragorn's way and not Gandalf's way, that they did not choose the dark and secret way. Why? What evidence? He doesn't even know what it is. Not only does he know nothing about Moria, he doesn't even know that it is Moria that we're talking about here. He just knows there is a way which Gandalf has called a dark and secret way, and that, as the narrator tells us here, the very mention of it had seemed to fill Aragorn with dismay. His response to Aragorn's reaction is the thing that informs Frodo's feeling of relief. Remember, Frodo's relief is the more significant, right? The more telling, 
the more suggestive when we actually hear what Gandalf has said. Note that there's these two paragraphs are slightly out of chronology, which is interesting. That is, what Gandalf says in paragraph two of this passage is what Frodo is reacting to in paragraph one. Um, when they returned to the company, Gandalf spoke, and then he knew that it had been decided. Gandalf speak, the, Gandalf, the actual speech of Gandalf is not given until the next paragraph. So we're first told what Frodo's response to the speech was, and then we're given the actual speech. Which is a very interesting narrative move that Tolkien has made here, right? He didn't have to do it that way, right? We could have had um, the first um, three and a half sentences, two and a half sentences, three, three and a half sentences, right? All the way through, Frodo watched them, wondering which way the debate would go. When they returned to the company, Gandalf spoke. Colwyn, from signs that we have seen lately, I fear that the Redhorn Gate may be watched, Right? Etc. 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 We must leave as soon as you can get ready. New paragraph. Uh, you know what? Like Frodo. You know Frodo then knew that it had been decided to face the weather in the high pass. He was relieved. Right? It could have. It could have done that. Right? In which case, we would first have gotten Gandalf's quite grim pronouncement of the decision to go over, over Carothros, and then we would have gotten his responsive relief, right? Instead, the sequence goes in the, in the other way around. Why, why do this? Why change the sequence in how it's presented to us? I think the reason that makes most sense to me to the choice that Tolkien has made in presentation here. When you actually hear what Gandalf says, it's, it would sound weird. Wouldn't it sound a little bit weird to hear this speech and then be like, oh, phew, I'm relieved. This sounds great, right? Um, this is obviously the better option. I mean, there would be... Basically, I think that what he's pointing to what Tolkien is pointing to in this whole passage here, um, these two paragraphs, I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain dissonance, right? There's a certain cognitive dissonance in uh, Frodo's response to Gandalf's words. Um, Gandalf's words are not incurred. I can't imagine anybody else in the company. I'll put this another way. I can't imagine anybody else in the company on hearing Gandalf say this is feeling relieved, right? Do you think Pippin is listening to Gandalf's speech here and being like, oh, phew, boy, I thought it was going to be something hard, but um, just uh, exposing ourselves to spies while traipsing through feet of snow and probably freezing to death? Oh, man, I feel so much better about where we're headed, right? Um, you know, that's not really that's not really exactly it, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I hear you guys, several people saying that the direct quote may just be the second half of Gandalf's speech. It's possible. Um, yeah, maybe he started off with a sentence that said something like, we're going over Karathras. You know, today we head up towards Karathras. And at that point, he knows that it had been decided to face the weather in the high pass. Um, yes, that's very possible. But still, 
Um, we are told about Gandalf telling them, and then we. I I still think that. I still think that what I'm describing here is still the effect that we're getting. The, the what I am pointing to is the thing that is there in these two paragraphs. Paragraph one gives us Frodo's relief. Paragraph two gives us no cause for relief or happiness about this decision. Right? All cons, no pros. We're not given a single prompting to feel good about what lies in front of them there. And yet, I, again, and I think this is why it's important to focus in on Frodo's relief. Frodo's relief is significant. And it's the more significant, I think, because he knows no reasons against... The, he doesn't even know what the dark and secret way is. Nor can he know any arguments for or against it. What he is emotionally responding to is Strider's emotion. The fact that he, he knows Aragorn well enough by now to read in him a very significant, not just a misgiving, not just a... Like, Aragorn didn't creep anybody out like this when he was doing his thing about the silence in Holland, right? Um, we've seen Aragorn making grim pronouncements, and it didn't affect Frodo like this. That Frodo would still take, despite Gandalf's proclamations about how dangerous it's likely to be, both in the short and in the longer term, dangerous it's likely to be to cross over Karathras, it's very significant that he nevertheless feels relieved um, just through the secondhand like emotional reaction that he had to whatever that thing was, right? Um, the thing that I think, um, the thing that seems really born in to me when, I, when, I, when I'm looking at this passage and the last couple clearly, I feel that when I've read these passages before, I have always, I have always underplayed in my own head Aragorn's emotion. Aragorn's, the, the strength of Aragorn's negative reaction to going through Moria. Um, because of the use of the word debate here in this first paragraph, I think I had always in my head kind of imagined it in those terms. Right? Um, that is... Gandalf had one suggestion. Aragorn had a different suggestion. Strongly urged against Gandalf's way. Um, didn't try to say that his way was awesome. Right? Remember last time he was like, I think every way sucks. Um, but please don't even mention that other one. Right? Um, again, the more we look at it, the more we see this is not a, let's weigh the pros and cons, right? Because I think if we really measure everything carefully, it'll be pretty clear that the pros in favor of this route really, I mean, you know, cost-benefit analysis suggests Karathras is the way to go, Gandalf. And I'm going to try to convince you of that fact. Like, in some, in some admittedly vague way, I think that's always the kind of picture I had in my head about this, about this passage, about this whole moment in the story. But as we're reading it closely, I think that we can see that's we we don't see that. Neither one of them gives pros and cons. 
in fact, nobody gives prose about anything, <laughs> right? Um, you know, Aragorn is explicitly like, there are no prose, right? There are no, there, there are no, there are no good options. I think no good of our journey from one end to the next, right? Um, but Aragorn is so freaked out. I mean, I saw you guys using this, um, um, this word before, and, and I, I, I totally agree, right? Um, Aragorn is so freaked out that it freaks Frodo out. Secondhand. There is secondhand freak outage happening um, because he, he hears, he can hear and see how spooked Aragorn is. And that's all he needs to know. Like, if, the, if Gandalf's suggestion freaks Aragorn out like that, I don't want anything to do with that. Right? This sounds bad. This sounds bad. The spies are going to probably see us, and we might die in the snow. Doesn't sound great, but I'm, I know Aragorn well enough to believe that if this is nevertheless knowing these things, what he was arguing for, and hearing how freaked out he was about the alternative, I don't even want to know what the alternative was. Um, yeah, Valoria, I agree. I think Frodo is used to Aragorn being measured and unflappable. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, he's often grim, right? That's a word that is used of Aragorn. He was at times even sort of sardonic, right? Remember his, uh, you know, do not speak of such things and... Um, uh, you know, all that kind of thing that was going on during the first part of their journey with Aragorn. Um, you know, he would, he, 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 Aragorn would be a killjoy on occasion, right? Um, and I still think he's not very good at hobbitry, um, though he tries sometimes. Um, however, even, like, think about it this way. He's been with Aragorn settling down around a campfire knowing that the Nazgul are closing in. Aragorn faced that situation with remarkable sang-froid, right? I mean, he was just like, whatever. Um, remember the edge of panic in Sam's voice? Hadn't we better clear out quick, Mr. Strider? Right? Like, we're not just going to sit here. Like, if they found us, if they're here, we're not just going to sit here. And if we light a fire, good grief. Right? That's the best way I know of to say, here we are, bar shouting it. Right? So are we, are we, are we, are we going to, we're not only not going to run away right now, but we're going to stand here and announce our presence and just like dare the Nazgul to find us. And Strider's like, yep, <laughs> that's the best route. Right. But I'll do you one better. I'll also tell you the story of uh, Baron and Luthien and that that will that will help. Right. So we'll ford up um, spiritually speaking. Again, like that was the greatest moment of crisis, of course, that Frodo has seen Aragorn in. And look at how he was. Right. Um, he was not freaked out, um, even when he was leaping in and attacking, um, you know, the Nazgul one-on-five. He wasn't freaked out. But here, right, talking about 
this dark and secret way that Gandalf has mentioned that he doesn't even want to name during a conversation that he believes is not overheard by anybody else, right? Um, in response to that, Aragorn is so freaked out that it gives Frodo um, a deep sense of dread. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, in a sense, we don't have, um, in one sense, we don't have any clear explanation, right? Because we don't get a, a plain and objective pros versus cons analysis of every route. Um, we don't even get to ana to analyze pros and cons. There are no pros anywhere, right? But to weigh the cons of one route against the cons of another route. Um, we don't even mention what the cons of the dark and secret way are. Um, notice, by the way, Gandalf's uh, euphemism, the dark and secret way, um, that name is actually the first the closest we get to prose that are offered, right? Um, dark, dark is scary, but we're talking about a company that's been traveling by night for three weeks now, right? Dark's good. Dark's good because it's connected with secret, right? When you combine dark and secret, I mean, there's, there's a pro right there, right? By characterizing it as a dark and secret way, Gandalf is quietly putting forward his argument in its favor, right? If we go through Moria, we're going to vanish off the face of the earth. Let howsoever many crows fly overhead. They're not going to find us in Moria, right? So, we go through Moria, we vanish. And when we emerge, we emerge right on the doorsteps of Lorien. So, you know, um... So he's making a kind... But notice, despite the fact that Dark and Secret Way is in this context a good thing, an attractive option, especially when explicitly um, contrasted with the cons that Gandalf is lining up about their trip over the Redhorn Gate, or trip through the Redhorn Gate. Um, nevertheless, Frodo is feels relief to hear that they're not going to try it. Frodo was glad that it had been abandoned. Abandoned is an almost wishful word here, right? Not just decided against, but abandoned. We're not... Um, remember, Aragorn's... The thing Aragorn said in his freak-out reaction, apparent freak-out reaction... The thing that Aragorn said was, don't, let's not speak of it yet. Say nothing to the others, I beg, until it's plain there is no other option. Um, and so Frodo's like, oh, well, that's been, that's been abandoned, right? Like, the, the argument was not like, okay, these are the two viable options. Which one do we go through? Um, Aragorn's begging was about, can we just, can we take that off the table? And then Gandalf comes and says, we're going over Carathras, and Frodo's like, phew. 
that was taken off the table, I guess. Right? That option, that possibility has apparently been abandoned. So, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Matagot. It does suggest Frodo does not think that there will be no other option. Um, that we're going to... He... he and again, that's when I said, like, wishful. Like, it seems almost like wishful thinking. Um, the fact that Aragorn was begging, again, not just that it be put in second place, but that it be taken off the table um, until, like, the most emergent possible situation. Um, I mean, it's even possible, I think, that Aragorn is thinking... Um, the gap of Rohan might be more attractive than Moria. Like, I'm not sure that when he says until it is plain, there is no other way. Um, he says he does not trust the gap of Rohan since Gandalf's news of Saruman. But that is different from how he talks about Gandalf's dark and secret way, which you'll remember when he's addressing that doesn't even list that as among the options. Um, so when Aragorn says... Um, until there's, it's shown that there is no other way. I don't think it means it's the backup plan if Karathras doesn't work out. I think it's a distant third, right? If we can't cross over Karathras, and we also survive not crossing over Karathras, um, then uh, plan B, Gap of Rohan, right? Presumably, um, based on what Gandalf, uh, based on what Gandalf said before. Um, or, sorry, what, what Aragorn said before. Um, I agree, Wild Buck. I don't see any evidence that Aragorn has had any kind of specific foresight. Yes. That will happen. That will come upon him, but I don't think he's had it yet. I don't think there's any evidence that he has had it yet. Um, yes. Um... And yes, Gildalowen, I absolutely agree. Ultimately, no other option points to the hand of Providence. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, um, uh, and in the end, remember, that's where we ended at the end of the last passage, was Aragorn urging them to spend some time thinking it through. And meditating on this, right? To go over this in their minds and see what they think the right thing is to do. Um, which, again, I do not believe primarily means let's analyze this from more angles to see if we can really, you know, let's, let's run the numbers again and see which one is likeliest to pan out best. Um, I don't think that that's the case. I think that what he is saying is let us seek the guidance of providence on this. Let us see if we think that what we think is right to do. Um, yeah. Aronoff says plan C, go back to Rivendell and cross the Misty Mountains there. Possibly. I mean, again, no other options, right? No other options. Um, now, of course, you guys are all remembering ahead, and we know that's exactly the circumstances under which they are going to enter Moria, and that is when they have no other options, 
at all. Um, Providence is, in fact, going to intervene in this situation and necessitate that they go through Moria. They will indeed be left with absolutely no other option. Um, anyway, I'm digressing a little bit, but not too much. Uh, because, again, I'm trying to get... I think that the, the primary emphasis of that first paragraph is... The primary emphasis is on Frodo's secondhand emotion about the dark and secret way about which he knows nothing. Um, notice, again, in response to Gandalf's statements here, Frodo doesn't say, well, okay, exposed to the spies, you know, probable chance of discovery, uh, almost certain chance of snow, and thereby significant chance of, of death. Um, you know, the more I hear, the more this dark and secret way is kind of sounding attractive. You know what I mean? I mean, like, like what are we waiting for? Says Lincoln. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, but like there's, there's, you know, secrecy. Secrecy sounds handy, right? Darkness. Okay. But if it's dark, does that mean it's underground? In which case, no snow, right? Well, okay, so we could avoid the snow. We could avoid the spies. Tell me more, right? But Frodo never has that reaction. Aragorn's response to the dark and secret way was so strong that Frodo's second-hand freak attitude um, survives Gandalf's grim summary of the plan. Um, yeah, almost certain discovery, very likely hypothermia, sign me up. I'd, I still choose that than whatever makes Aragorn feel like that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kilgonthier says as a Canadian, totally on board with the dark route where you avoid snow. Sounds like a really, really good idea. Um, yes, yes. Um, yes. Um, yeah, in, in my response to the question, um, uh, let's see, uh, a bearded elf, hey bearded elf, was asking the question, why doesn't Frodo uh, chat about this with his pals? Um, and I agree with uh, Morniran, uh, who is saying, because he doesn't want to scare them or worry them, I suppose. I would also say, remember we were talking about the this sort of morally or like, um, at the very least, socially dubious position that Frodo puts himself in as an eavesdropper on this conversation? Like, I don't think he's done anything wrong. I don't think that he feels that he's done anything wrong. But I do think that if he goes and tells other people what he overheard, that that's like a bridge too far. I mean, he was there. He was not sneaking up trying to listen in on their conversation. Um, he's just lying there and he heard them talking. What's he going to like pretend he doesn't hear like it's and he's very curious and very, you know, invested in what they're deciding. So I don't think that I don't think that there's any shame to him that he would feel any shame about listening. Um 
but telling other people. I don't mean to say, like, oh, it's just not done, right? But it's kind of just not done. And it would be undermining the leadership of Gandalf Mordoran. Absolutely it would. Um, to be spreading that kind of uncertainty, that kind of uneasiness, um, I think that Frodo himself understands. We've seen everybody trying to keep Frodo's spirits up, but I think that he has understood enough to know that you don't want to... Um, uh, you don't want to um, uh, just freak everybody out. Um, he knows... Remember, again, clearly, as seems clear from this paragraph, the part of that overheard conversation that impacted him most was Aragorn's um, beseeching of Gandalf not to tell anybody, not to mention it to the others. Please don't even mention the dark and secret way. And so if that had a real impact on him and he has been, and he is still in a state of secondhand freak outage in response to Aragorn's freaking out, um, you'd think the very least he would do is follow Aragorn's, you know, request, um, urging, beseeching, that it not be talked about. Um, it would be not just a jerk move for Frodo to go and spread around what he heard, um, not just undermining the leadership of Gandalf. Again, all of those things are true. Um, but more, it would be bringing to pass something which clearly Aragorn was, like, terrified about. Um, Lincoln, I don't think I'm comparing the company to a military unit, um, uh, necessarily. Um, I think that there is, but there's, there is clear leadership for sure. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, um. Okay. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Matt was drawing the comparison. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the comparison is inappropriate. I mean, it's not a military unit. It's not that situation. I mean, we do have to remember that, like, Elrond was like, I don't want y'all to swear oaths. Like, you're not, you know, you haven't, uh, um, you know, sworn to obey and, and you know, you're not going to be dishonorably discharged from the company. Right. Um, uh, you know, so there's none of that stuff is kind of at stake uh, here. Um explicitly not at stake. And so in all of those ways, it's very different from a military company. Um, but at the same time, good leadership is good leadership and good followership is good followership. And that's true in the military and without. But thinking about it, um, drawing parallels to a military company may help to illustrate some factors that would also be true outside of a military company. We're used to thinking about command structures and, you know, leadership uh, and followership behaviors in a military context, conceptually, right? We are less used to thinking about that in those terms in other contexts. And so I think it's, it's useful in that way. Boromir would beg to differ, Silk Westgate, but... Now we'll get back to Barmir in a little bit. Um, 
but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, right, as Jackie does point out, and I think this is what uh, Silk Westgate was thinking about, um, several participants have military experience, so they might act within a similar mindset. Um, yes, yes, I think so. Um, yes, and Bjorning, you're absolutely right. There are also friendship issues here. Um, for him to overhear a conversation which one of his friends was asking not be revealed to people, and then to go and reveal it to people, would be, on some level, a if not an explicit violation of trust, because he's not been entrusted with the secret, he's just overheard it. But again, it's still a jerk move. <laughs> like Everything else aside, it's a jerk move. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Nancy, you are absolutely... Well... Nancy says, there aren't a lot of other structures in leadership, uh, in literature. Um, that's, I would say, it's one of the things that makes The Lord of the Rings very interesting, actually. Um, uh, yeah, Watership Down, my favorite leadership book, without question. Um, uh, Hazel the Rabbit, still my personal hero. Um, uh yeah, Hazel the Rabbit on the very short list of uh, uh, people I actively attempt to model myself after on a daily basis. It's not a long list, but Hazel the Rabbit is on it. Um, but um, anyway. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Trying to remember where we wound up here. Um, what we've covered and what we've not covered. Let me say one last thing that I was saying about the sequence before. Before we are given by the narrator um, let, me, let me put it this way. At the end of the first paragraph We are given um, Frodo's response is a guide to us as readers, is a prompt to us as readers to share in his relief. Through Aragorn's response to Gandalf's suggestion and Frodo's response to Aragorn's response, we have been primed as readers to view with great suspicion even dread, even horror, potentially. This other option, whatever, this un, as yet unnamed option that Gandalf has put forward. And we are relieved. So, phew, they chose the better, easier way, we feel, with Frodo at the end of paragraph one. Then in paragraph two, we are told all of the very practical reasons why the way they have chose the way they have chosen is a quite bad option <laughs> right um, likelihood of failure very high chance of death quite significant and that's where as I'm the 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 dissonance the cognitive dissonance I was referring to before between those two things whew at least we didn't go the other way well, crap. This way sounds really bad, too. Right? Creates 
I think, two different things. On the one hand, it really helps to bring home Aragorn's comment about... Um, he thinks no good of their route from... Of their, you know, of their, their quest from one end to the next, right? Um, from one end to the other. One consequence of this dissonance is, wow, there really are no good options. You know, and this is the this is the better of the two. Holy cow. Right. Um, so getting a sense of. And again, I th this feels to me. Yeah, Bjorning, I'm thinking very much along those lines as well. Um, no Amdir all Estelle. Exactly. It brings me back to that place. That's exactly the place where we were. Remember, that's the place where Elrond advised that's the position he wanted people to embrace at the end of the council. Let us choose the path unforeseen. Not in the sense of we'll surprise the enemy and thereby increase our odds of success. There's some element of that. I'm not saying there isn't an element of that. But the whole, like, let's not choose strength or wisdom thing, remember that conversation that we had in the Council of Elrond. Elrond is explicitly arguing for the path that seems the, the, the option that seems like it will not pan out. That there's really very little reason to think um, uh, it's going to succeed, right? Uh, when Gandalf gets to Minas Tirith, Denethor is going to tell him in no uncertain terms that sending the ring um, with a witless halfling into the very land of the enemy is complete madness. And Gandalf, of course, is like, yeah, I know. That was the plan all along, right? Elrond and I were, were, were saying, man, like, what we've got to do is what looks to be the worst plan. Let's try to minimize our opportunity for success, <laughs> right? They don't go quite that far. But again, the whole, um, you know, this can be attempted by the weak, uh, uh, you know, better than the strong is almost in that direction, right? Um, let's not choose anybody too strong to be in this company. And we talked about other p potential reasons for that too. But at the end of the day, it was clear that it was not about maximizing their, their odds for success, so once again, we see that being um, we see that being borne out here in the choices that they have, and in Gandalf's agreeing to go along with this one. And again, I come back to what was the nature of their debate. It was not about let's do a very careful scrutiny, indeed, of the pros and cons of each option, and decide what the best route will be. What the where lie the greatest odds of success? And it does not seem to me at all clear that they have chosen the route that they have chosen here because they believe it fits that criteria, right? Like best odds of success, Redhorn. It's not looking great. Still better odds than the others, though. So let's hit it, right? Um, yeah, Zeev, exactly. There is no, there is no good choice. And I think that we are being reminded of that. That again, Frodo's 
this dissonance between, on the one hand, the way they've chosen sounds bad, but the other option is vaguely, literally unspeakably worse, <laughs> right? Aragorn's like, don't speak of it, right? It's unspeakably worse, the other one. So, um, but again, I come back once more to on what basis are they making the decision? I don't think it is based on probability of success. One option that I think they, um, uh, one option that I think, not, not option, one way to think about this. Um, when you, when you guide, how do you figure out when Gandalf and Aragorn were, um, oh, what's the phrase? Hang on. I moved it to the bottom. Uh, what's the phrase? Um, weigh the matter in our minds. That's the phrase. Um, when Aragorn and Gandalf are weighing the matter in their minds in the night before, what are they weighing? What's, what are they putting in the scales? Um, I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just odds of success. Notice of the three options we know of, there is one way that the Redhorn Gate stands alone. Of the, there is one sense in which it is clearly the best option. And that is, they are not, by going that way, they are not bringing the ring directly into the power of darkness. Moria is full of problems. At the very least, there are orcs there. We don't even know about Durin's Bane, whatever on earth that is, under the earth. Right, that is. And whether or not it can use Sauron's ring or what would happen if it got the one ring, like, we don't even know. But we don't want to go there. Even just the orcs. If the orcs get it, that is almost certainly, you know, there's, it's going to get back to Sauron, for sure, if the orcs get it. So, we are putting the ring in immediate danger of recovery by the enemy. Or somebody worse, <laughs> right? Uh, whatever Doran's Bane is. Um, if we go into Moria. If we go by the Gap of Rohan, we're putting it in danger of being recovered by Saruman, which might not be quite as bad, uh, maybe, as Sauron getting it, but is still quite bad. Um, when we go to Karathras, well, if we look at the two things that Gandalf emphasizes here, um, spies might find us. Okay, that's still better than the enemy getting the ring or servants of the enemy getting the ring right away. If all we have to... That's bad. We don't want the spies of the enemies to see us, but if the spy does... If the spies do find us, worst case scenario is that it means that we're going to have trouble in the future, right? It's going to, like, increase the odds that the enemy gets it down the road, but that's still better. And if we... Uh, right, spies are better than armies of orcs, Dr. Benway, exactly right. And if we freeze to death in the snow as we were saying last time you know what could be worse could be worse right that's not a great outcome certainly not a great outcome for us personally but honestly 
it's like almost a best case scenario <laughs> of all the bad options. That's clearly the the best bad option, right? Um, yeah, spies are less bad than armies of orcs. Freezing to death is the best option of all. Again, of all the ways this could end disastrously, that disaster is the one... Because they're not thinking... I don't think either Gandalf or Aragorn are thinking primarily of the safety of the people in the company. They can't be. They're thinking primarily of the quest. And of all the bad outcomes that they can foresee from where they're standing, the ring is lost, you know, in like an avalanche of snow in the mountains. Pretty good bad option as bad options go, right? Um, you see what I mean? So, it seems to me, I don't think it is merely our odds of getting through say, safely, our odds of arriving safely at the other side of the Misty Mountains are highest if we try the mountain pass. In fact, it seems to me it's hard for me to see an argument that says that's not the worst option as far as merely the odds of success are concerned. I would guess that there is a greater chance of them all dying in trying to cross Karathras here. I mean, we're talking about a mountain pass in January with a snowstorm visibly on the way. I mean... Ask anybody that lives in the mountains. That is a bad idea. That's not just like, it might be tough. That is, death is very, very likely. Are you? Is it really less likely that you're going to get through Moria? I mean, they almost make it, right? Um, you know, had um, if only they'd had the good fortune of having Pippin freeze to death, then they would have made it. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's still a little hobbitry there, Pippin. I love you. But, um, but anyway, the, it's, um, uh, it is, uh, the point is, I, I don't think their odds of arriving safely on the other side of the mountains are higher crossing Karathras. Um, I just, I just don't. Um, and so, I don't think that's the criterion that they're using. I think they're thinking bigger picture than that. They're not thinking about their own lives and the lives of the people in the company. They're thinking about the end of the quest. And I, sus I believe that that's the basis of their decision here. Um, and how it is that Aragorn is arguing does it look really bad to cross Karathras? Yeah. But you know what? If we're meant to make it through, we'll make it through. But let's go in the direction that seems not... Let's not ask the pros and cons question primarily. Let's not try to play the odds. Listen to Elrond. We're not playing the odds all the way through here. Instead, let's do the thing that seems best for the quest. No matter what. Um, 
Right, or if Pippin had been sent back to the Shire, as Elrond had suggested, Dan. Exactly, exactly. Um, yes, uh, Vardendil says, even here in upstate New York, we've had a couple of nasty winter mountaineering accidents already this season. Yeah, yeah, we just, up here in, here in New Hampshire, had a, uh, a teenage girl lost while hiking um, in the White Mountains just this past weekend. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, uh, uh, it's an issue. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a very real issue. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. If we all die and the ring is lost, that's better than the alternative. Gildalowin. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm waiting on that because once the wolves attack, the situation is quite different. Um, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, the ring is lost is far, far better than the ring is taken. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. The, the company will come to the point of debating this as a whole, right? And so that will be a, a really cool passage to kind of bring bring some of these sort of theories and ideas about this initial decision. I've been, try, I, I've been trying, Wobe, actually not to think about that passage because I want to see what we're being told here, right? To consider this passage on its own based on what the story has revealed to this point. And then to use our discussions here to sort of inform what we see later uh, when we get to that, when we get to that later, uh, that, that, that later passage. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, man, Snow may come. Gandalf is being gentle in this speech. Um, he could say, snow has come and more is on the way. He could look over his shoulder and be like, smell that? Snow is coming. Winter is coming, he could be saying, right? Um, instead, he holds out the possibility, well, snow may come, right? Um it will take us more than two marches before we reach the top of the pass. Snow may come any time in the next three or four days. It's going to take them two days to reach the top of the pass. And then they've still got to go down the other side. So three days minimum, right? Um, yeah. Oof. Okay. Um, yeah, and I agree. Um, I agree, Bjorning. Um, there is a morale-building element to Gandalf's speech. He's not doing his rosy, cheery, happy version of things here. Um, but don't worry, it'll get warm, right? Um, he is... Uh, yeah, I agree, Mornirin. Snow may come being its own sentence is, is a really interesting... It's... Um, it, it, it emphasizes it, right? It doesn't, just, it doesn't just get, like, tagged on to another sentence, Right. Um, he lands on that on its, and I also have doubts of the weather that is coming up behind. 
snow may come. Um, it really does. Um, whenever we get a really short, simple sentence like that, it, it, it usually hits pretty hard, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, snow may come. Um, we must go with all the speed that we can. Here's what we can do. You know, we need to take this seriously. This is a big deal, and the odds of failure and death are high. Not going to hide that from you, but um, we must go. You know, dark will come early this evening. We must leave as soon as you can get ready. It's still late afternoon, right? Um, we're going to go as soon as we can and as fast as as fast as possible. Um, Man, I get sorry. I'm just looking back. I've just my eyes was just resting on the middle of that first paragraph. Um, the dissonance that I was talking about, the kind of tension in these two paragraphs, um, the way we're being pulled in these two different directions, is right there in back to back sentences. Then he knew that it had been decided to face the weather and the high pass. He was relieved. Facing the weather and the high pass. That's if you know anything about weather and high passes. <laughs> That's not a subject for relief, right? And yet, nevertheless, like, oh, you know, snow in the in the in the Alpine passes in January. Whew! Oh, that sounds great. I feel so much better. Um, now, it's true, Jackie, that Frodo himself does not have any experience of this, um, and yet uh, he does. He has at least heard Bilbo's stories. Um, they didn't have the best of times crossing over, even without s stone giants. They didn't have the best of times crossing over the mountains. Um, uh, but in addition, he um, there's also an element in which he will have heard stories of mountains, but have no experience with them himself. So that will lead to ignorance about mountain travel, but also may lead to um, uh, unrealistic amounts of uh, fear and trepidation about it. Um, by the way, I, I, I say this, Jackie, as somebody who is myself almost in that position. Um, I mean, I, I've lived in the Northeast for, uh, m much of my life, but, um, uh, but it's not like I've tried to cross mountain passes on foot in the wintertime, nor do we have the kind of mountain. There's like one mountain pass in New Hampshire that is anything like a, you know, is threatened by winter weather and not usually for long. Um, it's not like out in the Rockies where you guys have real mountain passes that become imp impassable until spring um, or like in the Alps. And that's clearly what we're talking about with the Misty Mountains. Um, so for me, my relationship with snow in the mountain passes is one of stories that I've heard. Um, and... Uh, um, and it's, um, yeah, um, stories that I've heard, which make me very reluctant to face it just because all the stories I've heard about it are scary stories. Um, good and praise you're right. Um, the hobbits are also very short. And thus, heavy snow, it will take much less to snow the hobbits in than it will take to snow in everybody else. And so, for a hobbit facing the weather in the high pass, um, 
even somebody without firsthand experience of this has to be aware of the fact that if you're traveling on foot through high snows, um, it's uh, got to be something that you are uh, a little bit concerned about, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, it's true. It's Vardendo, it's true that we get bad weather in the White Mountains. I just mean we don't have like the same kind of mountain pass situation. It's not I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I lived up further north in the state, I would uh I would be more familiar with that kind of thing. Um uh As I said, I've I I have I have once in my life had the experience of being turned away at Franconia Notch, you know, when trying to go through the interstate over the, over the, the, you know, a, a mountain pass in Northern New Hampshire. Um, and instead turning and driving like three hours out of my way and going down the river Valley between Vermont and New Hampshire and, uh, instead. Um, but, um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, I'm, I think, all right, last point that I want to make, because I don't want to leave it. We were spending all this time talking about the decision, which is what I wanted to highlight. One thing I wanted to just glance at before we leave. The description of Carathras. Gandalf and Aragorn went aside together and stood looking at Carathras. Its sides were now dark and sullen, and its head was in grey cloud. Um... That sentence is about 90% external description, right? Um, its sides, remember the sides were glowing red before. Um, we've seen its sides glowing red at sunrise and sunset. I think we've seen it both times at sunrise and sunset glowing red. Um, the fact that its sides are now dark tells you something. Why are its sides dark? Because the sun is not shining on it now. Despite the fact that it's late afternoon, and so therefore the late afternoon sun coming in from the west, as the sun is approaching the horizon, because as Gandalf says, dark will come early this evening, um, the sun is westering and should in theory be shining that red light that makes the Redhorn Mount look, you know, get its name of Redhorn. And yet... Um, it's not, right? It's not. Its sides are dark. It's not glowing red. It looks creepy when it's glowing red. It is more ominous, of course, in its way for it to be, for its sides to be dark because the clouds in the west that Gandalf was pointing to, which look like they are bringing snow towards the mountain, are blocking the red sunset from Karathras, and its head is already in gray cloud. Um, and then in the midst of it, the 10% that is not a mere out, out external description of the mountain is the word sullen, right? The word sullen makes the entire sentence um, personification, right? We are given instead a glimpse of the character of Karathras. Karathras is being described like a person. Um, 
its sides are not only dark, they're sullen. Um, so we get this idea of this looming, scouring, resentful mountain. And its head was in gray cloud. As if the, like, overflow of its negative emotions is already starting to form around it. Right. Um, Karathras. Yes, Rowan. Karathras is a grumpy mountain. Um, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Mortar, and that's just what I was thinking of. Its head in gray cloud makes me think of people being described as having storm clouds over them uh, when, in a t- when in a temper. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. Um, the personification of the mountain is important, and that's going to become more and more prominent uh, as we as we go through. Um, as we move into our personal encounter with the mountain. So I didn't want to I didn't want to miss that um, uh, delicious sentence, really that delicious word in the middle of that sentence. And notice just how he just kind of plops that in. Plops that into a sentence which otherwise is just visual description. Just landscape description, but in the middle of it he drops that one word which transforms the whole sentence and makes Karathras into a, you know, begins to set the scene for Karathras being the kind of character, having a kind of personality that he's going to describe. We will come to a place where it's less and less clear. Is everybody just personifying Karathras? Is that just a figure of speech? Or is, is something there? Are we actually talking about a person? Does the mountain actually have a personality? Um, and as a reader, again, imagining ourselves as like first-time readers, right? Um, when do we know? I remember. I, this is one of the things I remember kind of um, wrestling with when I was a kid, reading The Lord of the Rings. And being like, hmm, is Karathras really alive? Right. Um, it's totally a question. Had I had any kind of Tolkien community <laughs> that I had access to when I was a kid reading The Lord of the Rings for the first time, um, but I was not. I was in that position that I know many of you can relate to um, in that time in my life when I thought I was like the only person on planet Earth who read, you know, I knew literally I wasn't that like it had been published in more to more, you know, and more than me had copies of the book, but I didn't know it. There was nobody in my life. I didn't know anybody who had read the Lord of the Rings. Um, so I had nobody I could ask the question to, but if I had had someone, I would have asked the question, is Karathras alive or, or not? Cause I'm not really sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, we will, we will see. We will see what we see. But again, it's not just we'll see what final conclusion we can come to at the end of the day. It's also at what point do references like this begin to coalesce into, into something that begins to feel inescapable? Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, let us end there. So no, no two slides for us tonight. Um, Tune in next week 
when um, Boromir interrupts again. It's been a while. Boromir hasn't interrupted anybody for quite some time, but he's going to break his streak uh, and uh, and interrupt again uh, next week. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. So uh, yep. Same time next week. Um, you're right. We we have been told of. He might have been interrupting people. You know, day in and day out for weeks. For all we know. Um, um, so is it like the interrupting chicken, except it's what, like the interrupting general? Uh, is that, that might be a fun kid's book, actually. Um, <laughs> interrupting warrior. Uh, but, uh, but in any case, um, we will, um, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Um, I should be here next week. Um, I think we're going to get quite a string of Tuesdays in a row, actually, um, one cannot perfectly foresee the future, and December can be a little bit unpredictable when it comes to family matters. Um, but uh, uh, but I believe that we will. Uh, I, I'm 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 counting at least on next Tuesday. Um, all right, <laughs> Signum Press potential for that children's title, <laughs> interrupting warrior. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Not not really confident in that pitch right there. But uh, anyhow, all right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, happy Thanksgiving uh, to U.S. folks. Um, and uh, we're going to do our field trip here this evening. Good evening. Good evening, Valori. How are you? Hi. Um, doing all right. Okay. I'm going to expand here, and I'm probably going to lose it. There it goes. Okay. So give me a second. I'll be right back in. <laughs> Yeah, that's a new thing it's been doing since the last update, where now when I change the dimensions of my screen while Lotro is up, it can't handle it. So just uh, on the topic of Karathras, you were talking about when you were a kid. Like I recall when I was a kid, I had a lot of problems with this passage because they did keep talking about Karathras like a person and I kept saying yeah. is this a character I'm supposed to know about? Yeah. Like was, was I introduced to this guy? They keep talking him sending snow down us. It's yep. like he's some sort of wizard lizard man or something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I I found it legitimately. Again, like it's interesting because it, it starts off just referring to him referring to the mountain but kind of personifying the mountain. Um, and well, yeah, that, and they kept switching back and forth between red, red horn and Karathras, which is confusing enough. Yes, agreed, mm. agreed. Um, but yeah, no, I, it's that's um, that's exactly kind of where I was too. Okay, all right, I'm back in here. So let's. So uh, my understanding is, so we're gonna go back to. Uh, I'm gonna use our milestone to go back to what's her face is Gerwin's convoy in Cardolan, but we've had a request to go visit a rock first. So let's go out back to the, let's go meet at the crossroads again. And then we will, uh, we'll go visit the rock and you guys can explain to me why we're visiting a rock. So this has been a general request from Lotro players that we should say hi to a rock before we, uh, before it may or may not be before we head South. Yes. Apparently there's a rock that needs to be enjoyed. Um, at the moment. Uh, not a rock, the rock. Okay, agreed. We're going yeah. to the rock. 
It has a name. It's Dwayne the Rock, apparently. Dwayne the Rock, right. Okay. Um, so let's meet at the crossroads, rock, and then I think we'll. I think my understanding, if I'm if I'm getting the directions to the rock correctly, is we're we're meant to go north from the crossroads. I I don't know if Drowsnake. Uh, I'm not sure discussions whether the rock is sentient is fruitful or not. But considering the fact that it might not be here next week, we can discuss if it's a spiritual. Holder. Yeah, it might only be a spiritual rock. That's true. That was on the way to Hangstices, I believe. Yes. Okay. So let's let's wait for folks because some people might be coming in. Let's kind of gather at the crossroads here, and then we can go. Uh, um. So it's just on the greenway. I just take the greenway north, and I think it's and fine. I'll and I'll know it when I see it, right? Help yep. me out here. I'm not aware of this rock. Yeah, this is a completely new thing on me. So I, I know nothing about I know nothing about I know nothing about this rock. Okay. Okay, I can't miss it. All right, if I do, I go north and I can't miss it. Run into it. Okay, okay then. Fine. Uh, good, good. I like my rocks uh, obvious and run into a pole. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Okay, let's um let's go let's go see the rock. It's also interesting that for, you know, for, for all the, the gloom and doom around this mountain, that it sure sounds like he's describing mountain doom. It's like so far we haven't met a nice mountain, have we? Right. Yeah. Um, right. It might happen. not be Mount Doom itself, but it is. Um, uh, mountain. <laughs> it, yeah, there's a there's a certain amount of. Well, it is it is interesting to have in the context of a quest which is meant to end at a mountain called Mount Doom, to have another mountain serve as an intermediary antagonist, right? Yeah. Is just um is certainly interesting. Um okay. So first of all, I'm trying to remember when was the last time I've been up here and it's been a long time. Not since they had the travel thing. Trestle Bridge? I'm going to say Trestle Bridge. Trestle Bridge. I have I even been up here since they beautified Brie? Since, like, the re, like the cosmetic upgrade to Brie? I'm not even sure I have. Not, no. I think we took you through at least some of the stuff when they did the Yeah, upgrade. I think we showed you how some of the stuff connected. Like the new parts. Right. Yeah, but I, do, I remember seeing that on the Shire side. I don't remember doing that on the Bree side. Hmm. Anyway, all I'm saying is I haven't been to Trestle Bridge in a, in a long time. Apparently Dwayne is closer than that, so... Okay. Dwayne is, uh, is on the near side of uh, Trestle Bridge? Yes. Okay. You won't have to get to all the way to New York. Oh, yes, that's going to cause some uh, roadworks for a while. Oh, holy cow. That is, that is not a rock by any stretch of wow. imagination. I mean, the problem is, is that it is actually blocking the regular stable master, so. It's on top of the stable master? Like, if you take the stable master debris, like the short pony debris, the long version. 
Oh, like the, 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 the painted tunnel on it, like Wiley Coyote. That's been a common thing, yeah. Oh, you can climb up, huh? If you're careful, yeah. Oh yeah, well I'll I'll, I'll apply some of my masterful platforming skills to attempting that. <laughs> somewhere, some somewhere, my son is laughing at me, just because I said that. Hey, I did it! Woohoo! Hey! Did you just take screenshots of Narnian on the rock? <laughs> there we are. On top of the rock. This is very odd. Yes. Um, what? Uh,. So how did how did Dwayne end up here? I don't think they've actually explained how it happened, but um, yeah, probably something went awry with the procedural generation of some world assets. Huh. Yeah, it just looks like the X plane went a little crazy and ended up here. How fascinating. Okay, so obviously, what we need. Uh, what we need is a tunnel, right? A tunnel so yeah. that the stable horses can still get through. Hmm. But, um, I understand that they've already decided what to do about it and did the work, but it just hasn't been implemented. Um, and I don't think that's it. That yeah, okay. The best idea. Hmm. There have been bands holding like hours long concerts on here, like Gladden had <laughs> It's just, just concerts on the rock, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rock, rock. Well, we had a we had a weather rock. The the Lonely Mountain Band Saturday Night Band uh, did a performance, but they played down on the actual greenway because you can't hear anybody down there. Right. Right. Well, it is kind of a fun vantage point. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really see much of anything. I mean. It's interesting. Who's roasting the donkey? Okay. Um, uh, it's, there was a donkey being roasted. I, I don't know. Like there was a fire with a donkey standing in it. It looked like a donkey wow. roast. I, I don't. And again, now there's a pork roast, I guess, going on. But um, anyway, um, I mean, wow. Yeah, it's no Amansul. I agree. Uh, but it is an interesting feature in an otherwise not, you know, very noteworthy stretch of terrain. There are massive huh? celebrations. Oh, no. Somebody put an ending in the fire? This is getting worse and worse. Um, oh, no. Yeah. And this is why I have pets turned off. <laughs> um, is this the mental tarma? I think probably not, but um, uh, the new stone of Eric. There haven't been human sacrifices on here yet. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the new it stone of Eric. Yeah. So this has basically been adopted as a pet rock by like most of the Lotro community, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
they named it. It's 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 they, just they one of those things. It's going to be be part of history, just like the ghost bear. Right, right. Um, yeah, the mini Tarma is a pretty good name, Nancy. I, I kind of like that. I like it. Mini yeah. Tarma. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Sounds like an appetizer. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 No. Exactly. It's uh, it's a, it's 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 a stable rock. Well. Okay. I am uh, I am glad to have seen this is a bit of a phenomenon, um, and of course, like, of course, I uh, I would be compelled. To, the fun thing, of course, is to come up with an in-game explanation for how this arrived. I mean, it's a very significant mystery. Because it obviously can't have fallen from the sky or it would have destroyed the planet. Uh, yeah. Or at least there'd be a very, very large crater indeed here, right? Um, it couldn't have, uh, you know, thrust itself up out of the ground. Or fallen off of a wagon. Or fallen off of a wagon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Adzo's not building an inn, it's a front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been suspicious of Adzo for quite some time myself. Um, God, he's double dipping. <laughs> a bunch of trolls were doing a group hug at sunrise. <laughs> All across suggests. Oh, that's just tragic. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're trying to build, like, the biggest... Uh, the biggest pyramid of trolls ever, right? Or, or it's like a wedding thing where they're up on chairs, you're holding each other up on chairs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That just makes me sad. Yeah, no, I doubt that. I doubt that. No, I think, honestly, the most probable explanation in-game that I can come up with um, is um, that it's been here all the time and that nobody noticed it. I guess. I mean, why would you notice it's just a rock? No, I mean that, like, there was some spell on this rock that prevented anybody noticing it. So that, like, we've been going around it without even noticing we were going around it. Maybe it's a Mandela effect where if you ask every other person, they're going to say, no, I remember the road to the trestle bridge. There's no rock there. Exactly. It's actually, it's just Mandela effect. That's not actually the way it is. As JJ says, it's the future site of Hogwarts. So there were already, you know, uh, the forgetfulness spells oh, we're cast on it. Oh, yeah. we had to we had to know about the rock to be able to see the rock. Exactly. Exactly. So be found by people who already know where it is. There was some spell of concealment on the rock, and uh, but for some reason that spell was recently taken off. So that's the real question as to why, after all these years, the rock has suddenly become visible to us all. Well, I think... I'm crossing the memes here, but I'm going to say a TARDIS was parked on top of it. Well, you know, uh, given the uh, mashups to which we've already been committing ourselves uh, cautiously, we can't rule that out. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think... Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Well, I think. Um, well, I, yes, of course. The the let's not. We can't move out the 
we can't rule out this is a starry shenanigans here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I, 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 I will protest my honor at least against shenanigans. I get that. I get that. But no, yeah, some kind of right. Which so then like it just leads to whole lines of speculation to say why. First of all, why would it have been concealed in the first place? What is so special about Dwayne that uh, uh, that it was concealed to, to begin with? And why has that recently stopped? Um, hmm. Maybe we had to believe in Dwayne first. <laughs> Maybe. Well, think about it. We didn't see Dwayne until Druid's Fire told us about Dwayne. It's true. Maybe Dwayne didn't exist. And it's so, true that when I was coming up has... this road, I was expecting to find a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, I was thinking along the same line. So so you're saying that maybe if we all clap our hands, that Dwayne will survive? Uh, that's all we can hope for. So when they do the server update tomorrow, we'll have to clap our hands really yeah. hard. Everybody and clap their not hands. not here, I'll know you guys did not believe hard enough. Yeah. There, there has, they have made no statements as to whether Dwayne will well, Lojo's going to have an extended downtime for additional maintenance. However, DDO also is. So it leads me to believe that they're not going to deal with it until the patch next week. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, don't panic. They're not patching anything. They're just doing hardware maintenance. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, well... <laughs> This is fun. Holiday weekend in America. Yeah, no, no, yeah. No, I, I appreciate the field trip to Duane. This is we don't yeah. get to see many cultural phenomenons like this that work its way into sort of gaming gaming lore. Yeah, we don't. Um, really fun lore in itself. We. I'm trying to imagine the experience of the player that just started playing Lojo for the first time, and who might well have encountered this rock. You know, and is going to be very confused when it suddenly disappears. Well, I think the folks yeah. who were taking the stable master to Trestle Bridge and ran into the rock were like, what? Yeah, well, I remember the early days where it kept chucking me off at the bridge at Kalondon. <laughs> so the, the stable horse used to Rivendell the bridge in Kalondon? Yep. <laughs> yep. Right into the falls. Oh, that's Starter awesome. Area. I never experienced that. I think I once had a a goat mishap in Moria on a scheduled goat. <laughs> I I think that I think that took me off off a cliff at one point. Um, I don't think I went off a cliff, but I got awfully close, and I got really motion sick, and I had to get up and make a cup of tea because I couldn't look at the screen. <laughs> right. Sorry, I was just turning on floody names for JJ. We've got Barry, a deer, and Narnia, the hopeful swans. I like it. I like it. Very good. Strong work, Gilthalian, to have Barry, a deer, the, 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 the swan. <laughs> and Swingo Nugs. Thank you for the Narnian swan. That's excellent. So the big question is who's, who's going who's gonna to come to the Mythmoot Masquerade as Dwayne the Rock? 
that's what I want to know. Right. Right. Yeah. No. So I think we've, um, we now have like, um, at the very least, we have this significant like, uh, writing prompt, right. To figure out like, what is the story? There has to be a story explaining. We need to, we need to tell Sparrow about the rocks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that Dwayne is a spiritual rock belongs bond is I think a perfectly legitimate answer. Um, if he's not a literal rock, and I will say, by the way, that should he in fact disappear, then it would really seem to support the notion that Dwayne is a spiritual rock, has been a spiritual rock all along. And so that he we are in... disappear, he just went home. <laughs> right. We are all in fact standing on a spiritual rock right now, which, by the way, seems legit to me. Um, it's as real as we are when you come to think of it. And you know, there's there's actually a science fiction author by the night, name of Diane DeWayne who writes about sentient rocks that live in an alternate reality or alternate like dimension or something, and they they can't interact with our reality. And uh, one in one special moment that they were actually solid to their human companion, uh, and it was really really cool. So they were spiritual rocks. And her last name is Dwayne. It kind of fits. Okay. It kind of does. Well, there we go. So yeah, I um, uh, that uh, now um, Highlander Winds was also suggesting that of course the Valar and Maiar can represent themselves in any physical form that they choose. That of course would be another explanation for why there is suddenly a rock here. We could in fact be. St- be standing on like Aule himself who is roaming these lands and has manifested himself as a rock here. Or one of the Maya. Yeah, yeah. Well, he would have to be called the first crafter and oh my god, we can't, I can't wait till we get to do that. Okay. Apparently we stumbled onto something else there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. See, the game can't use the name. Yes. Love it. I'm all about that. Yes. Yeah, JJ, I Tolkis is a strong option at least. Um uh well at least we cast the rock uh as Tolkis in some film, so you know, there is there's an established connection between Tolkis and the rock. So, you know. Could well right. be Tolkis. He might think this is funny, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure this is some immortal's idea of a joke. Or yeah. Tolkis could have, like, you know, with his strength, brought a big honking rock over here and carefully set it down and snuck away. Also possible. And then laughing when the uh, when the when the stable horses run into it, right? Yep. Yeah. True, but like, if I recall, the person who did most of the damage with rocks and and rock slides and stuff was usually Morgoth. Well, yes, it's true, but no damage is being done here. See, that's part. That's that. That's that's why it, it would seem more likely that it was it's more of a prank. Than yeah, out in that direction. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and um, ha ha ha! You have to go on foot to Trestlebridge, man. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, which again suggests Tolkis or one of his Maiar, uh, as I could totally see Tolkis finding that hilarious. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, 
this ended up getting more philosophical than I thought first. Well, you know, you, I mean, that's the fun. The fun is coming up with an in-game explanation for things. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Is it the same rock? I do not know. I've never actually been to that one. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, I am um, very glad that we have all experienced uh, this. Um, this may be, then it turns out. See, we all thought that the uh, the the Huntsman plotline in uh, Enidwyth was the closest encounter we were going to get with one of the Valar. And now here we are. Perhaps now we are all uh, standing upon one of the one of the Valar, and uh, never realized it. So there we go. <laughs> it's a very Norse sort of interpretation there. Yeah. Like we're standing on top of Ymir. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Hope he doesn't have dandruff. Oh, we would be the dandruff on Ymir at this point. Sorry, I have a first grader. That word is anathema. I hear you. I hear you. All the parents in chat just suddenly cringed. Yeah. Well, exactly. Physical cringe. Yeah. As uh, I, I prefer to say, we're the helpful bacteria in your eyebrows. As a family member of a pediatrician, I've heard plenty of stories. But anyway, um, yeah, Vardendil, I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of Fastatakalon as well. Um, Fastatakalon, the giant turtle, who uh, encourages you, encourages you to land on his back and mistake him for an island, uh, and then he dumps you over and goes underwater. Um, so this also could be a sort of terrestrial sort of equivalent of this. Um, yeah. For the lion turtle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, as Snake says, or rather, this is Faustarachalon. Yeah, exactly. Faustarachalon, which would also have been a good name uh, for the rock here. Yeah. But, uh, I like, I like uh, the classics. I would call him Peter, but that's me. Yeah, exactly. Right, which means rock, basically, yes. Um, yeah. 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 Good. Awesome. Well, we should go. Um, yeah. uh, we'll get to Cardo. We'll go back to Cardolan again next week. We have plenty of time to talk about Car- to, to to look at Cardolan. It's actually not going to be too many weeks before it's time to head to Carothros, right? We, there was that part of Eregion that we deliberately skipped until we got to this place in the story. Um, yeah, the red board moves, yeah. Maybe we should wait till after the wolves, and then we can do them all at once. Um, both the. What? Both the, uh, the 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 alpine ascent up Carathras and also the um, uh, the wolf glade as well. That's that's right. Don't forget your booties, woodchuck checkers, because it's cold out there. <laughs> that's it. Well, I will recommend before we go back to um, Carathras in game, uh, we might want to take a party through the new skirmish, Caras uh, Galibrand. Because it tells an interesting story relating to some of our other content on, you know, rings, gets power, and kind of stuff. And okay. Well, I might. 
We might do that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we'll do that here, but I will definitely do. I'll do it. Definitely do that somewhere or other. Mm-hmm, because it's second age, non-ruined elven structures, and I was gibbering about it for like three hours on stream on Friday. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Nate. We'll see some good some good friends, and we can play through the story because it's a really good story. So you you want to pop me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll definitely we'll definitely think about that. All right. Um, well, I'm gonna let everybody go. Thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you for introducing me to Dwayne. This has been great. Um, uh, definitely an event I would not I would not have wanted to miss here. Um, um, so thanks everybody, and we'll 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 plan to uh, get back. We'll, we'll we'll be back in Cardolan again next week. So thanks everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye.